Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Listen, and you'll know. First of all, if you haven't heard this yet, I love this. Rod Arquette on Talk Radio 105.9 KNRS. You know, I don't know what else to say that hasn't been said already today in reaction to the uh, caucus meetings and the vote in Iowa yesterday. But if you look at it, I mean, putting it simply, folks, he cleaned their clock. I mean, he, <laughs> he, he really did. I mean, Donald Trump won, what, 98 of the 99 counties there in Iowa. He lost the other one by one or two votes. Um, he appeals to the heartland of America. And he he just he had a great night last night. Now, where do we go from here? We'll be talking about that today. They're now all heading to New Hampshire. That vote is coming up, what, a week from today. A uh, little bit more moderate state, certainly different from Iowa. That's what you love about America. Every state has its own uniqueness and it's different. Voters think differently. Uh, and now we go to New Hampshire and we'll see what happens in New Hampshire. Uh, Donald Trump is winning there. At least the polls indicate that he is winning there, even though Nikki Haley uh, appears to be a, a somewhat close second. Uh, and then we go to South Carolina uh, and we'll see what happens there. But it was obvious last night that Donald Trump got a couple of things about the Trump campaign. First of all, um, his speech last night, I, I you know, I watched it and thought he was great last night. I mean, he was a little more, shall we say, humble. If Donald Trump can be humble, don't know if he can, but, you know, he he seemed much more relaxed. We've talked about this in his town hall meetings that he's had the past couple of weeks. He was complimentary of his opponents. He didn't attack him. He did go after his number one opponent, who happens to be uh, Joe Biden, and that's that's just fine. But, I, I you know, this, you know, where is it over yet? A lot of people are saying it's already over. Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis have a very, very big hill to climb. Uh, and can they climb it over the next couple of weeks? And a lot of people are predicting this could be over by February, if not by March. And that could mean a very long general election campaign for all of us to have to go through through 2024. But getting back to what I said, he he cleaned their clock. I mean, he won every area you want to take a look at. It was Donald Trump's night last night. We'll get into that and break this all down for you today on the show. How are you, everybody? Hello, Utah. Welcome to the Rod Arquette Show on this uh, Tuesday afternoon after our Martin Luther King holiday break. It was nice to have a three-day weekend, but we're back in business. And we'll be here all week, of course, tomorrow on Wingman Wednesday, a special edition of Wingman Wednesday, because Greg and I will be up on the Hill. Utah lawmakers kicked off their session today, their 2024 session. Abby has already shared some audio sound bites from uh, Senate President Stuart Adams and House Speaker Mike Schultz. And we'll be talking a lot about that tomorrow. So I won't focus a lot on the Utah legislature today because I know we'll be talking about that tomorrow. But today we're going to take time. And I definitely want to hear from you a little bit later on in the show because I've got a couple of questions following uh, this election 
uh, or this vote in Iowa last night in which Donald Trump just walked away with everything. Now, now there was one, there have been a lot of interesting um, reaction to the vote or concerns among voters coming out of the, uh, the, um, the voter sentiment as they, you know, as they left the caucus meeting last night. Fox News did a lot of uh, questioning about them. And the interesting thing, I think, that came out of this, the one that surprised me more than anything, was a question was posed to the caucus voters last night to list the issues that were most important to them right now. Now, almost every poll out there has basically said, it's the economy, stupid. Not the case last night with voters in Iowa. Number one was immigration. Kind of interesting because you have not heard that before. But I think what what the voters in Iowa and I think around the country are saying is that right now we have a broken country under the leadership of Joe Biden. Now, I know the first lady is here today. She's out at some school with uh, the governor's wife, and they're talking about the importance of education. But a lot of Americans, I think, out there today, and I think a lot of you in this, in this state and who listen to this show feel that the country has is broken. And it is a defining feature of much of American life today. I mean, look at this. We've got broken families. Would you agree? We have broken families. We have broken public schools. Our schools are broken. Our teachers do a tremendous job, or some of our teachers do a tremendous job. But a lot of Americans feel the schools are broken. Are they being taught the basic life skills that they need? We have broken small towns and inner cities. We have broken universities, a broken healthcare system, broken media, broken churches, broken borders, broken government. At least they have been shells of their former selves. It's not what they used to be. And that's why there's a, a sense that the autopilot that America's institutions and their leaders are on right now they're either brain dead or smug. And the American people are saying that cannot continue. So I think there are a lot of people who are looking at Donald Trump as a guy who can fix broken America and everything that's broken in this country today. Now, it was interesting last night, and I mentioned the broken media. It was interesting last night that both CNN and MSNBC, surprise, surprise, were all over Trump supporters last night calling them radicalized Republicans. Has anyone, heard ever, anyone ever heard someone say to the far-left Democrats that they're radicalized? But no, you haven't. But last night, after the former president's historic win, and it was an historic win last night, no Republican has ever done this well in the Iowa caucus, um, they censored and decided to cut away from the former president's victory speech last night. Let's begin with CNN's Jake Tapper. Listen to how he set it up. We're going to seal up the border. Because right now we have an invasion. We have an invasion of millions and millions of people that are coming into our country. I can't imagine why they think that's a good thing. Donald Trump declaring victory with a historically strong showing in the Iowa caucuses if these numbers hold. 
the biggest victory for a non-incumbent president in the modern era for this contest. A relatively subdued speech as these things go so far, although here he is right now under under my voice. You hear him repeating his anti-immigrant rhetoric. Anti-immigrant rhetoric. Well, Americans believe a lot of that so-called anti-immigrant rhetoric because they understand that our borders are broken. I think even those on the left think our borders are broken, and we're starting to see the impact of it. Look at Chicago, look at New York City, look at Los Angeles. And the brilliant move by Governor Greg Abbott in Texas to send some of those illegal immigrants into those cities so they can feel what it is like. So that was Jake Tapper on CNN last night. And then, of course, you have Rachel Maddow on good old MSNBC. You know, not only did they even refuse to air the president's speech at all, she even refused to say Trump's name when she spoke about the projected winner starting to give his victory speech. And then she explained why MSNBC is not carrying it. Um, at this point in the evening, the projected winner of the Iowa caucuses um, has just started giving his victory speech. Uh, we will keep an eye on that as it happens. Uh, we will let you know if there's any news made in that speech, if there's anything noteworthy, something substantive and important. Um, the reason I'm saying this is... Of course, there is a reason that we and other news organizations have generally stopped giving an unfiltered live platform to remarks by former President Trump. It is not out of spite. It is not a decision that we relish. It is a decision that we regularly revisit. Um, and honestly, earnestly, it is not an easy decision. But there is a cost to us as a news organization of knowingly broadcasting untrue things. That is a fundamental truth of our business and who we are. And so his remarks tonight will not air here live. We will monitor them um, and let you know about any news that he makes. And now that's Rachel Maddow at MSNBC. I don't know about you, but I can't stand the woman. But, uh, you know, here she is. Here she is basically saying we will not carry untruths being told by the former president. Well, what about the untruths being told by the current president, Joe Biden? who claims the economy is working and everything is in la-la land in America today. Are those all lies or is that truth? But NBC certainly will carry him anytime. That just shows you the media. And they were, they, they were just blown away last night. They don't understand what's going on. They don't understand the American people. They are so, they're in a, some sort of vacuum between Washington and New York that they don't understand what real Americans are going through out there. And that's why they're out of touch right now. And this explanation, well, we don't carry a speech because they're full of untruths. Let's do a Biden speech someday and tell me about his untruths. All right, a lot to come today. When we come back, we'll talk with the chairman of the Utah Republican Party. He has been in Iowa the last few days. We'll see what Rob Axon's view on all of this is. Well, later on, reaction to the Iowa caucus from Jim Ansel with the Washington Examiner and Matt Makoviak, a political strategist based in Austin, Texas. That's all coming up on the Rod Catch Show and certainly your calls. If you want to be a part of it, 888-5708010, 888-5708010. Or on your cell phone, all you do is have to dial pound 250 and say, hey, Rod. A little bit later on in the show, we'll talk about this uh, this uh, column in the New York Times of all places, uh, written this week. And the columnist admitted that Donald Trump got three big things right. Now, also in the New York Times, I think it was Sunday, they were pleading. 
I mean, I've never seen him do this before. Pleading with Republicans not to vote for Donald Trump. I mean, I've never seen the New York Times do anything like this, but they're almost begging Republicans not to vote for Donald Trump. This is how far the media in this country is going to beat Donald Trump. It's going to be an interesting year, right? Okay. Big win last night in Iowa. You know, a lot of people came out. Uh, The turnout was lower. The Trump supporters really turned out. They wanted to show their support for the former president. But overall, it was a big, big night for uh, Donald Trump as he seeks the Republican nomination to be president once again. Well, joining us on our Newsmaker Line to talk about what happened last night is the chairman of the Utah Republican Party, Rob Axon. Rob has been in Iowa past couple of days, and he joins us on our Newsmaker Line right now. Rob, how are you? Welcome to the Rod Arquette Show. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Hey, Rod, it's always good to be with you and, and doing well. Iowa a lot of fun to see up front and personal. I was going to say, is this your first trip back? And what were some of your impressions, Rob? Yeah, so first time back for the caucus. And uh, a couple of things that really struck me is, is one, the strength that a caucus setting can provide of building community and bringing neighborhoods together. Um, you know, there's, there's certainly other ways that we can cast ballots through elections and whatnot, but the caucus system... In, encourages people to get to know their neighbors, to dialogue with one another. And you saw that in full force there in Iowa. Uh, All the more impressive with how cold it was, and yet people were still showing up and exercising their civic duty. Why did you go back, Rob? What what did you want to see? Yeah, the key thing was, um, obviously, we have a caucus that we will be executing March 5th, and we we always do our caucuses, and, and they're a vibrant process. Uh, but I think it's important to always be willing to learn from others and to see what works and what doesn't work. And there's some times where you don't quite know what you don't know. And so with that in mind, we wanted to get out there in preparation of our caucus and presidential preference poll happening March 5th to see if there were any lessons to be learned. And so I went out there and I had uh, Kim Coleman, our, our party vice chair, Brad Bonham, our, our party uh, national committeeman. Uh, Stafford Palmieri, our party secretary, and then also some of our staff, so our executive director and the caucus director. So we were learning those lessons, and we want to bring those back where we learned them to make sure that caucus night here in Utah is all the better. What lessons do you think you picked up on, Rob? Are there a couple that stand out? Yeah, I think the key thing is to make sure that you have a process that is understandable so that if somebody is coming in for the very first time, that their ability to quickly be engaged and to be onboarded and to to go through and be credentialed, for example, that that is a smooth enough and and understandable enough process where they're not turned off or they're not intimidated. Because I think that's critical. If there's any Republican in Utah 
that wants to get with us and involve themselves in fighting for the principles that the Utah Republican Party believes in, we want them to do that. So we want to remove any type of intimidation or learning curve that, that leaves them feeling like they need to stay on the outside. Let's talk about the uh, caucuses coming up here. There are a couple of deadlines. I've had people ask me about, aren't there some deadlines that we have to sign up for before the caucus to be involved in the primary? What are some deadlines uh, that people here in Utah, Republicans here in Utah, need to be aware of as we get deeper and deeper into the political season, Rob? Yeah, excellent question. If you are a registered voter in Utah affiliated with the Republican Party, there's nothing you need to do to qualify. You are now qualified. That's the only expectation both for caucus participation, voting at caucus in our presidential preference poll, or voting in our primary for all of our other elections later into June, is that you are a member of the party. So if you are not registered to vote, you're welcome to register to vote and register as a Republican to participate with us. Uh, if you're a member of another party, uh, unfortunately, under state law, you don't have an opportunity to come and participate with us this year. And, and if you really believe what we as Republicans believe, I would recommend changing your party affiliation into next year and participating down the road. Um, but that's the key thing is to just be a registered Republican. What effort is going to be made uh, to get the word out about the uh, caucus night coming up, I think you said on March 5th, to encourage people to come on out? What, what efforts are going to be made to get the word out and invite people to participate, Rob? Yeah, key thing is for any of your listeners and any of us as Utah Republicans, as soon as we hear about it, we need to make sure to inform our friends and our family. Uh, in addition to that, each of Utah's 29 county Republican parties are working very closely with me and, and our leadership team to make sure that we're getting word out. You'll start to see advertising, uh, including uh, on your radio show. Um, we have some things in the works that over the next handful of weeks uh, and in the lead up to March 5th, we'll be doing those advertising pieces, billboards, uh, certainly signage that will go up. And it's just a matter of getting that word out. Any Republican should participate with us, and we look forward to getting them there on March 5th for caucus and participating in that presidential preference poll, which will be facilitated through caucus. In the coverage leading up to the vote yesterday, the one thing I noticed, Rob, and you probably did as well, was the pride that voters in Iowa take in this caucus because it is the first one in the country. They take a lot of pride. They feel a responsibility to really get out and participate. How do we get that same feeling here in Utah, or do you think it already exists? Because the caucus system has been under attack for a long time. I'm a big supporter of it, like you are. I mean, how do you instill that pride? You do have an opportunity to participate and take part in this political process. How do we get the pride level up in the Utah caucus meetings, Rob? Excellent question. And, and I think the key thing, again, it comes to stewardship. Those of us who know what the caucus system is and enjoy it, it's our responsibility to share that with others and to invite them to participate. Uh, to those who have been critical or maybe they don't know really anything about it, um, but they've heard something that was critical, I would remind them there's so many blessings that come as being an American citizen and yeah. growing up here in this state and in this country. And being asked and invited to participate for a couple of hours every two years with your neighbors, I think that's a, a pretty low bar. And it's actually a huge opportunity to build camaraderie and connection and community here in our neighborhoods. And I would encourage them to do so. Rob, as always, great chatting with you. Glad you're uh, home safe and sound. I know we'll be talking more, much more down the road as we get deeper into the political season. Thanks, Rob. Talk to you again. 
Hey, talk to you soon, Rob. We'll see you. All right. On our Newsmaker line, that's Rob Axon. Rob is the chairman of the Utah Republican Party. More coming up on this Tuesday afternoon edition of the Rod Arkent Show right here on Utah's Talk Radio 105.9 KNRS. Put me on a highway, the interstate, a dirt road to any place. Arquette Show on Talk Radio 105.9 KNRS. Our continuing coverage here on the Rod Arquette Show and Talk Radio 105.9 KNRS of the Iowa vote last night. And where does it leave everybody? What is next? Well, what is next is the week from today. We'll have the uh, New Hampshire primary. The race there, at least according to the polls, is much closer than it was in Iowa. Donald Trump at about 39%, the latest poll that I've seen, with Nikki Haley at 32%, and uh, Ron DeSantis uh, coming in third place. Now, Haley said today that she will not participate in any future debates unless Donald Trump is on the debate stage. Uh, the former president has not participated in any of the debates so far. Uh, he has preferred to do in town hall meetings. Uh, I think it's wise, in my opinion. I think there are some people who would like to see him debate, but it was early in Iowa, maybe New Hampshire, but I don't think he'll do it there as well. He's riding um, pretty high right now, and I think his campaign, which is much more organized and much more on top of things than it was in 2016, feels that right now there is no need for him to uh, to debate. Now, the question is going to be, of course, is where do we go from here? What happens next? Like I said, you've got New Hampshire, then followed by South Carolina, and then we'll see what happens there. Well, what about the pressure on uh, Trump's rivals, Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis? I think it's fair to say they pretty well got their clocks clean last night in Iowa. Let's dig into that more. Joining us on our Newsmaker line right now is Jim Antle. He is the uh, political uh, strategist at the Washington Examiner. Jim, how are you? Welcome back to the Rod Arquette Show. Good to be here, Rod. Jim, what do you think about last night as you look at these numbers today? Well, I mean, I think it was a pretty comfortable win for former President Donald Trump. 30 points, absolute majority of the vote. Um, you know, he came within one vote of sweeping all 99 counties in Iowa, maybe on the final tally, even that will, will come together for him. So, I mean, I think it was pretty commanding. Obviously his opponents are going to seize on the fact that the rest of the field combined got about 49% of the vote. Um, but no individual candidate got particularly close to him, uh, and that includes both Governor Ron DeSantis and former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley, who are both hoping and to d- defeat him at least somewhere. DeSantis in particular in Iowa was you know, hoping to win that state. Jim, where do we go from here with this? Of course, we go to New Hampshire, completely different state. Voters there are completely different from those in Iowa. Where does this go next, Jim? Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? 
In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I came from a low-income family that was, that was struggling. You see how hard life can get. GC became a part of my life because I don't want my family to fall back into that. I never thought education would take me this far. I'm still young. I still have a lot to do in my life and just want to get things done the way I want with a good education under me. I'm Stacy, and Grand Canyon University helped me find my purpose. Well, as the vote happens next week in New Hampshire, I think the hope on the part of Nikki Haley is that their very different electorate and the ability of independents to vote in that primary without there really being a competitive Democratic primary in the state at the same time uh, could lift her to at least be competitive with Trump, uh, if not beat him outright. And from there, uh, the hope is that she, for her campaign at least, is that she could go into her home state, have about a month to campaign against Trump, uh, and maybe make something happen. How is she viewed in her home state of South Carolina? I've heard she is not very popular there now, but, you know, I haven't seen any numbers to indicate that. What do you hear about South Carolina and their feelings toward Nikki Haley? Well, I mean, that's sort of the problem. So even if she is able to pull off the upset in New Hampshire, uh, is she going to be able to win her home state? Or will a loss there uh, effectively end her campaign or at least deal it a pretty severe blow? And, you know, there are a number of conservatives there who still have some lingering unhappiness with how her governorship ended, both uh, with whether she really held to her Tea Party campaign promises enough and also the fact that she resigned the governorship to go to Washington uh, to serve in the Trump administration. And many of the Republican statewide elected officials, including the current governor of South Carolina, are actually supporting Trump in the primary. Uh, Trump has a lead in most of the South Carolina polls, although Haley is in second place, but it's a somewhat distant second place. Uh, You know, so it's not a foregone conclusion that she'd be able to win South Carolina, but I think their, their hope is that if she did well enough in New Hampshire, she'd go into South Carolina with some kind of momentum and she'd have mm-hmm. a little bit of time to work it. Mm-hmm. Where does Ron DeSantis go? Where do you, what is his path right now, do you think, Jim? His path is a little bit more challenging because he, he's not as well positioned in his early states. I think he's going to try to make a play in the Nevada caucus, which is coming up, uh, where Haley is not really expected to be a factor. And he's campaigned in South Carolina, I think, to remind uh, conservative voters that he is an option. And I think they're they're claiming his campaign is that they, if they just wait a little bit, the states are going to go back to things that are more fav- conditions that are more favorable for more conservative candidates and maybe a less college-educated primary electorate, both circumstances under which they don't think Nikki Haley will do quite as well. Jim, as always, great chatting with you. Thank you. And I know we'll be talking more about this race for several months to come. Thanks, Jim. 
Absolutely. Thank you. All right. On our Newsmaker line, that's Jim Antle. He's with the Washington Examiner taking a look at the vote yesterday. We'll have more on that. Your reaction to this coming up in the uh, 5 o'clock hour. All right, welcome back to the uh, Rod Arquette Show. We'll continue our analysis of what happened in Iowa yesterday. And I want to get your reaction. I've got a question for you about one of the um, one of the people challenging Donald Trump and where this individual goes from here. And would you accept this individual as a vice presidential candidate for Donald Trump? We'll dig into that coming up. You know, it's kind of interesting to see the separation that has taken place now between Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley. When did this separation start? Well, Steve Kornacki, who is in, uh, uh, who is with MSNBC, he, he's their numbers guy. I think he does a pretty good job at this. Took a look at the numbers and when that separation began. And guess what happened? The first time Donald Trump was indicted in all these indictments and charges filed against him, that's when the separation between Trump and the rest of the field happened. Listen to this breakdown. The core Republican voters see the legal situation around Trump. And I know there's all sorts of different areas here. I'll just say the legal situation to keep it simple. But they see the legal uh, situation as an attack, as a politically motivated attack on Donald Trump. You can make up your own mind whether that's fair or not. But look at this. I think this tells the story. It's unquestionable to me when you look at these numbers and you just, if you were to apply all the little legal dates that, that popped up throughout the year to this, they triggered a rally around Trump effect among core Republicans. I said, again, they clearly see this as politically motivated. They see this as Trump's opponents using the legal system to go after him. And they responded that way by rallying around him. You literally see it wow. the week of that first indictment. Uh, Chris, Steve Kornacki, he's with uh, MSNBC talking about when that separation began. And I think the the, the charges against Donald Trump and the investigations, uh, you know, a lot of people feel, wait a minute, this America, these are all political. You know, this is not fair. Uh, and that's why I think people are rallying to support Donald Trump. They think Donald Trump looks at the country the way they do, that the country is broken. There are many areas in the country that are broken from our schools to our borders to you name it. Uh, and these charges to keep Donald Trump from winning an election again, because a lot of people feel 2020, the election was stolen from him, and then, in fact, Joe Biden is not le the legitimate winner. And you can see that in the polling coming out, coming out of Iowa last night, that the American people are saying, wait a minute. Well, you know, if it can happen to Donald Trump, it could happen to us. It could happen to me. And I think that's what the American people are saying. Wait a minute. You have simply gone too far. The justice system in this country is broken, among other things, education, the media, the border, the economy. They're all broken. And yet you're attacking the one individual who we think can straighten this country out. And that's why I think you have very strong support and you'll never be able to separate Donald Trump from his supporters. I don't think that will happen. All right. More analysis and some of your calls. I want to get to some of your calls on this question I'll have for you. Want to find out what it is? Stay with us after the news. We'll update that for you as well. Coming up, hour number two is on its way.
Hour number two of the Rod Arcancio here on Utah's Talk Radio, 105.9 KNRS. Listen everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Make sure you download it today. All right. Uh, still to come this hour, further analysis of what happened in Iowa yesterday and what could be happening in New Hampshire. And I've got a question for you this hour. Um, Nikki Haley came in third in the race last night. Uh, a lot of money was dumped into her campaign. A lot of money from Democratic groups uh, dumped into her campaign for her to come in second place in Iowa. I don't believe any of them thought she'd win, but wanted her to come into second place. She didn't. Uh, Ron DeSantis did. Now she goes to New Hampshire. She said today she will not do any more debates if Donald Trump is not on the debate stage with her. So ABC, I think, has already canceled the debate they were planning to air uh, prior to the New Hampshire uh, vote, which is next Tuesday. So my question is, tonight, I want you to think about Nikki Haley uh, and what scares you. Why does she create fear within the Republican Party, or at least for some Republicans? And is she positioning herself to be Donald Trump's vice president? Does she appeal to suburban women? Will she bring along the more moderate Republicans? And will she bring along their money? A lot of, you know, a lot of those groups... I think it was even the Koch, the Koch brothers donated money to her campaign. So I want you to think about that. Uh, we're going to talk to our, our another political strategist here in just a second, Mac McCowiak, for his reaction to what happened last night. But, uh, you know, in this hour, I do want to talk to you about Nikki Haley. What concerns you about Nikki Haley? I don't think she's going to be the nominee. That's my opinion. Uh, she may come in second in uh, in New Hampshire. Uh, likely second in her home state of South Carolina. Well, if that's the case, does she drop out? Does what does she do? And what what if Donald Trump said, you know, you know, she was my UN ambassador. She did a great job. Yeah, we've had our our spats back and forth during a campaign. It's all part of a campaign. But I think she would help me win this election. What would you think of that idea? I've got a few thoughts on that as well. But I want to get your reaction to that. But right now, let's uh, let's talk with Matt McCowiak, who's been waiting on our Newsmaker Line about last night. Matt, a lot of numbers out there, a lot of reaction coming in. What's your take on what happened in Iowa last night? Look, I think the, the first thing you have to say is it was a very good night for Trump. Uh, it just was. Um, you know, And it's not just that he was over 50%, which I think a lot of people were, were looking at. Uh, it was that the distance between him and, and second and third place was significant. Look, no one's ever won on, on the Republican side. No one's ever won the Iowa caucuses by more than 12 percent. And Trump's victory was at least 30 percent. Right. So the distance between him and second place is 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 the largest we've ever seen. I mean, it's just extraordinary. Um, now, that said, there were some 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 other developments. I think that the first question is, you know, because kind of t- second place was basically a tie with DeSantis around 21 and Haley around 19, it really didn't give either one of them momentum. You know, what it did is it allows DeSantis to go forward and continue. Uh, and, in, and in, you know, meanwhile, Haley is now going to try to put all of her eggs in the New Hampshire basket and, and attract independent voters, perhaps, you know, conservative and moderate Democrats who can vote in that open primary state with, uh, with no action on the Democratic side because Biden's not on the ballot. Um, and so, look, you know, there will be a lot made of, of, of other, you know, facts. You know, the fact that the turnout was, was mm-hmm, 130,000, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which was lower than expected. Of course, the weather was horrendous. 
And I think that absolutely contributed to it. But look, overall, it was a good night for Trump. I mean, if Trump had a, let's say, 75% chance to be the nominee going into Iowa, he now has a 90% chance of being the nominee. Um, you know, right now, you're just not seeing the sort of non-Trump contingent among Republican primary voters coalesce behind anyone. And that's really the challenge for Haley and DeSantis, is that if DeSantis were to drop out, which is what Haley wants to get that head-to-head, I think two-thirds of his vo- voters are going to go to Trump, not yeah, to Haley. Yeah, so yeah. I'm not even sure it helps her. Matt, as you pointed out, uh, Donald Trump last night won almost everything. I mean, all but one county, and it's real close in that one county where he did mm-hmm. win. He won all uh, all groups there. I mean, but do you see red flags for him coming out of Iowa? Well, um, not in terms of the primary. Um you know, if you just look forward, I mean, you know, we'll see what happens in New Hampshire. If he wins New Hampshire, this whole thing's over. Uh, if if he loses New Hampshire, perhaps narrowly to, to Haley, then she gets a boosted momentum. But then the question becomes, where does she win? You know, she's at risk because South Carolina is up next. It's her home state. She was elected governor there twice. Uh, if Trump were to beat her in her home state, I mean, I think that would basically be the end of that. Right. And so then before you know it, you're in early March. You have Super Tuesday, uh, March 19th. You have Florida. And Ohio, this race is going to be over soon, uh, but I can guarantee it will be over by the end of March, because I think by then Trump will have a, a you know an insurmountable delegate lead coming out of Super Tuesday and, and likely winning Florida. If it were him and DeSantis running in Florida, he will win Florida, right? And so that's mm-hmm. one of the problems is that generally when you run for president, you sort of presume you're going to win your own home state. Um, but Trump is such a unique figure in the Republican Party, and he's just dominant at the moment. His dominance has continued for the eighth consecutive year. So um, are there some warning signs? Look, the warning signs for Trump are all in the fall. You know, how do these legal things uh, play out? Does he have a conviction? How does that affect swing voters and independent voters? Uh, is there a serious third-party challenge? I've generally not taken those things that seriously. Right now, RFK Jr., I think, is only on the ballot in Utah, getting on the ballot in mm-hmm. 20 or 30 states is a very complicated, very expensive uh, challenge. Uh, if he were to do that, you know, the question is, does he uh, harm the Democratic nominee or, or Trump more? We'll have to see, you know, how that develops. What happens with no labels? I've been predicting for six months they're going to nominate a Republican to be their presidential nominee, someone like Larry Hogan, the former governor of Maryland, because they want to deny Trump the presidency. That's their, their actual goal. So there are, there are some risks out there. The economy could get better. The Fed could start cutting rates. You know, there's a, a lot of different potential scenarios in the fall. I think the race for the White House is going to be very competitive and very close next year or later this year, excuse me. Well, so there are some warning signs for Trump. But as of right now, he is quickly unifying the party behind him. And this this primary is pretty darn close to being over, I think. Matt, what does it say uh, how Haley performed last night about the moderate camp within the Republican Party? There were a lot of moderates who dumped a lot of money into Iowa on behalf of Nikki Haley. What does it is there enough uh, of a faction within the moderate camp within the Republican Party to put a certain candidate above Trump? Yeah, so the the challenge with the moderates in either party is that generally they don't uh, become active in primaries. Mm-hmm. They're active in general elections and not in primaries. And it's actually a, a real mistake on their part because they can have a much, much more effect uh, in primaries uh, because the number of votes are smaller, their share of the vote is larger. So um, there, look, there's no doubt there's, there was a lot of kind of scuttlebutt about Democrats coming in and voting for Haley. You know, you can, I guess, register on site as a Republican. There was no, you know, Democratic caucus because they backed out of Iowa. 
you know, I think once we got to go back and see who voted, and there's some analysis. I'm, I'm sure she attracted some of that vote. The problem is, is that, you know, going forward, you look at, at South Carolina, you look at Super Tuesday with Texas and Arkansas and Southern states, you look at Florida, March 19th, you know, these states are going to be pretty conservative and, and, you know, they're going to look like Trump country to a great extent. And so I, I just think Haley would have to kind of knock out Trump. She, she'd have to force a one-on-one -on -one debate. First of all, she's got to get DeSantis out. And if he gets out, then I think Trump probably rises. And so the, the polling is going to look bad for a little while. But she's going to have to get him to a head-to-head -head and, and, and demonstrate that he's not up to this anymore. You know, if he really has slowed down cognitively or in any other – physically or in any other way, there's been some chatter about that. He maintains a pretty, you know, robust schedule and still is able to speak for long periods of time, and he seems to be relentless. But if, he, if she were to get him into a one-on-one -on -one and, and really kind of expose him, uh, either on his record or on his, his capacity or whatever else – uh, that's what she would need. She needs a game-changing moment. And New Hampshire may give her that chance. If she wins New Hampshire, she's going to get a boost of, of momentum. But the challenge is where does she win after that? If she loses her home state, she gets killed on Super Tuesday, the delegate math becomes insurmountable. And that's why I think we're going to have a nominee by the end of March at the absolute latest. And we might even have one in the next seven to ten days. If if that is the case, this makes for a very long presidential campaign, does it, uh, doesn't, doesn't it, Matt? I mean, if you've already got it, it the does. candidate decided, then what kind of challenges does that bring to both the Republicans and the Democrat, if we have that long of a campaign, which probably has been going on for four years already. But what kind of challenges does it present, Matt? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. Look, this, this presidential election is unlike anything we've ever seen in at least one way, right? I don't believe we've ever had a sitting president challenged uh, by a former president, and particularly not in the case where the former president lost to the sitting president, okay? If you see what I'm saying, right? Like that, that scenario has never happened, right? So, so instead of it being challenger versus incumbent, it's actually in a way sort of incumbent versus incumbent, or certainly incumbent versus former incumbent. And what's so interesting about this is usually in a re-election campaign for, for when a White House is in power, they're trying to make the re-election campaign a, a choice uh, between themselves and their opponent. And the challenger is trying to make it a referendum on the incumbent, right? That's really the strategic, uh, uh, you know, challenge facing both both sides. In this case, it's going to be really Biden's record versus Trump's record, and voters are going to be able to decide which record they liked more. All the good, all the bad, you know, put into the pot and stirred around. So, but to your point, though, yeah, we're going to have the longest, probably the longest head-to-head -head general election where we know who the nominees are in the modern era. Now, what challenges does that present? Uh, I think there will be some voter fatigue. I think that we're, there's already voter fatigue about these two choices. I think something like 70% of people aren't thrilled that these are our two choices. Uh, but second is it's going to put more strain on the campaigns themselves. Uh, they're going to have much higher uh, burn rates, much higher overhead, longer period of time running a general election. I think I saw this morning that Biden has more cash on hand at this point than any president in history. Um, that's obviously an advantage. But, of course, as the party unifies around Trump, he's going to raise an enormous amount of money. I'm sure he did last night as well. I think the other factor here is he's going to, Trump's going to be in court a lot of the rest of this fall. In fact, he went to court in New York today before going to New Hampshire. right? So he's going to be uh, – you're going to have this split screen where he's campaigning at night and in the court dur during the day, and we're going to see how all that plays out. So, I mean, Rod, we are in for you know, almost a, a Hollywood-type movie. Uh, experience in this presidential election that's going to be unlike anything we've ever seen, and there are huge uh, potential scenarios, whether that be third-party candidates, whether that be uh, the Fed, whether that be uh, you know 
global crises, whether that be legal uh, legal verdicts and, and uh, consequences. I mean, there's yeah. so many different things that can happen. It's going to be an absolutely wild rest of the year. Amen to that, man. Matt McCoyak, who is a political strategist based in uh, Austin, Texas, talking about the uh, race last night. Uh, Matt just mentioned a moment ago that Joe Biden has more money on hand than probably any president at this point in his efforts to win re-election. His wife's in town today. Uh, Jill Biden, and what is she doing? Going to Park City to raise more money. Surprise, surprise. All right, more coming up. We'll talk about uh, Nikki Haley and the possibility of her being on the ticket with Donald Trump. What do you think about that idea? A lot of people, she makes a lot of Republicans very uncomfortable. We'll find out why. We'll open up the phones to you. 888-570-8010-888-570-8010. All right, welcome back to the uh, Rod Arquette Show here on Utah's Talk Radio, 105.9 KNRS. We're an iHeartRadio station. Reminder, Wingman Wednesday on the road tomorrow. Greg and I will be broadcasting live from the state capitol as Utah lawmakers get underway in their 2024 session. That's coming up tomorrow. All right, uh, before the break, I asked you a question about Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley came in third in the Iowa caucus yesterday. She was hoping for a second-place finish. A lot of Democrats, it was admitted today by someone, I think, in her campaign, that a lot of big-time Democrats put money into her campaign to try and defeat Donald Trump. That failed. Uh, more of that money will be used in New Hampshire. Uh, she probably won't win there, but likely will come in second place. But where do you go with Nikki Haley? Nikki Haley represents the establishment of the Republican Party. She represents uh, the corporate side, the corporate camp of the Republican Party. They can bring in a lot of money. Would putting her on the ticket appeal to suburban women? Would she help Donald Trump in his effort to get back into the White House? With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. You know, it's going to be considered. It's going to be thought about. I'm not sure where Trump's mind is on this. But what would you think of that idea? I mean, what concerns you about Nikki Haley on a GOP ticket with Donald Trump if, in fact, he is the nominee? And at this point, it looks like he will be. 888-570-8010-888-570-8010. Or on your cell phone, all you do is have to dial pound 250 and say, hey, Rod, Let's go to the phones. We listen to Tom. Hear what Tom has to say tonight. He's on I-15. Tom, how are you? Welcome to the Rod Arquette Show. Hey, Rod. Even hey. though it's not texting. Hey, hey Tom. How are, you? how are you? How are you? Fantastic that I'm talking to the great Rod. Oh, all right. What do you think of Nikki Haley? 
<laughs> so do I need more butter? Uh-huh. Anyway, two things uh, for what it's worth is one, Nikki Haley is Mitt Romney in a dress. Number two, when Hillary was running, Park City was the only spot she won in the state of Utah. Therefore, why wouldn't Jill go there to get yeah. to all the wealthy Catholics? Yeah, that's true. That's true. So you, so you so, don't think much of uh, Nikki I, Haley is not your choice? I mean, not for what she's doing. I mean, you know, she's being a politician like uh, Rubio and uh, Cruz was. But in and of itself, I think a lot of people, even on the East Coast, will say, look, if the Field of Dreams people want Trump that badly, then maybe there's something to it. I strongly feel he's going to run the table. Yeah, I, I, I would think so, too. I, he's in a pretty strong position right now. Something could happen. You just never know what could happen from one day to the next. But I think a lot of people feel at this point it's Donald Trump's race to lose. Back to the phones we go. Let's talk with uh, Musette in Eagle Mountain. Musette, how are you? Welcome to the Rod Arquette Show. Thanks for joining us. Oh, I'm great. How are you, Rod? I'm doing well. Thank Thanks you for, for asking. Me. Welcome. What are your thoughts on Nikki Haley? Good. I can't wait to tell you. Oh, gosh, I can't wait to tell you. All right. No, no, no. So. Nikki is another Pence, in my opinion. She's just disloyal, two-faced. When we were all worried about the election and all the fraud, she was like, she was against anyone who was saying that there was fraud in the election. You know, she just, Trump gave her a great opportunity at the UN and she turned on him. So no, she will never have any of my support. I think it will hurt him if they're connected to each other. So I, I hope he stays far away from her. She's disloyal. And, you know, the fact that the Democrats are supportive of her, come on now. Yeah. Really? Yeah, that's a red we, flag. We really want somebody. Exactly. I mean, all of the flags are red. We know. we got to stay away from her. Now, DeSantis, I love DeSantis, but I'm mad at him because I don't think he should have competed against Trump either. I think everybody should have got, rallied around behind him. And supported him after all that he's been through and what a great job he did for us. So anyone who's competing against him is totally off my list. All right. Do you now, have some do you have someone on your list? Do you have someone on your list? Oh yeah. Oh, Christy Nome. She's awesome. We should do her. She would be a great running mate. She's energetic, she's fresh, she's she's smart, and she's done a lot to be supportive of this nation. All right. All right. Thank you. All right. More of your calls coming up. We'll get you a news update and more of your thoughts on Nikki Haley. You know, is she running to be a vice presidential candidate along with Donald Trump? If she were on the ticket with Donald Trump, what would you think? 888-570-8010 or on your cell phone, dial pound 215 say, hey, Rod. More of the Rod Arcancho coming up. Catch Show on Talk Radio 105.9 KNRS. All right, welcome back to the uh, Rod Arquette Show. Second hour on this uh, Tuesday evening as you work your way home here in the great state of Utah. Great to be with you. Coming up in hour number three of the show tonight, let me set the table for you. We'll talk about the Supreme Court decisions in 2024, concerning the election, is a critical year 
on election news and election laws, and the Supreme Court will weigh in on this. We'll talk about that. The um, Great Salt Lake Commissioner, his name is Brian Steed. We've had Brian on the show many times before. Well, he is the Great Salt Lake Commissioner and has released a strategic plan now to save the Great Salt Lake. And what about John Curtis, Utah Congressman John Curtis, announcing, of course, he's going to run for the Senate to replace Mitt Romney. But there's an interesting story out there about how much money comes to the Curtis campaign from various green companies and green organizations. We'll talk about that coming up a little bit later on in the show. Now, right now, we're talking about the Iowa election. What happened last night? What was your reaction to it? We're getting your reaction as well to uh, Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley came in third. She poured a lot of money into this campaign, some Democratic donors helping her out. She came in third. She heads to New Hampshire hoping for a second-place finish. And by all indications, that's where she will probably end up. Um, And again, there'll be a lot of green money, or we should say Democratic money, corporate money, coming into her campaign. Now, the question is tonight, Donald Trump has a decision to make down the road here. He, I, I, I think he said at a town hall meeting uh, a couple of weeks ago that he already has made up his mind who he wants to be his running mate. What if, in fact, it is Nikki Haley? I don't think it will be. But, you know, there is some discussion out there that she does bring something to the ticket that Donald Trump needs. Possibly suburban women. Possibly a wing of the Republican Party, the moderate wing of the Republican Party, who would feel comfortable in voting for Donald Trump if, in fact, Nikki Haley is on the ticket. The moderate camp within the Republican Party nowadays is not very big. Uh, But, you know, there's going to be a very, very tight election. And I think it's fair to say that Donald Trump will need every vote he can get. So would Nikki Haley be someone who would help his campaign. And if you don't like that idea, what do you fear? What is your biggest fear about Nikki Haley? We've already had a couple of callers say, you know, she's Mitt Romney in a dress. She represents, you know, the 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 Chamber of Commerce, corporate donors, country club faction within the Republican Party. And that is not the Republican Party nowadays. But there has been talk, of course, about her being on the ticket with Donald Trump, and if that would strengthen her, uh, you know, the Republican Party's position against Joe Biden. Joe Biden is going to spend all his time condemning Donald Trump. Will he or Kamala Harris attack Nikki Haley if she is on the ticket? What would your reaction to that be? 888-5708010, or on your cell phone, dial pound 250 and say, hey, Rod. Now, I want to bring this up as well. This was in the uh, in the New York Times of all places over the weekend. But columnist Brett Stevens and Brett Stevens is you know used to write for the Wall Street Journal. I think we've had Brett Stevens on the show before. But he wrote about um, well he admitted basically that when he was president of the United States, Donald Trump got three things right. First and foremost, he said on immigration. He said, this is what he got right. He said, arguably, the single most important geopolitical fact of the century is the mass migration of people from south to north and east to west. 
causing demographic, cultural, and economic political shifts. He adds, enforcing control at the border, whether through a wall, a fence, or some other mechanism, isn't racism. Really, it isn't. Stevens wrote, it's a basic requirement of statehood and peoplehood, which any nation has an obligation to protect. He then went on and said, "He, you know, Trump has been able to identify the public's mood of decline in pessimism. A lot of people feel the country is broken. And Donald Trump has recognized that as well. And he also talked about the fact that weaponizing of the justice system, Trump has recognized that, and the American people are now seeing it. Three things that Donald Trump got right, according to this New York Times columnist. All right, let's go back to the phones. Let's talk about Nikki Haley. Joining us from Roy is Chris. Chris, how are you? Welcome to the Rod Arquette Show. Good. How are you doing, Rod? I'm doing well, Chris. Thank you. Uh, so basically, uh, Nikki Hillary, I mean, uh, Nikki Haley, basically is the reason I would think that she would not be good for Trump is just the Trump, when he was in office, never got us into a new war. Uh-huh. And Nikki is definitely the most pro-war candidate on the presidential ticket right now on the Republican side and seeing the Democrats showing up to conventions. Um, I'm a precinct chair where I'm at and we've been instructed to obviously accept anybody that comes to vote as mm-hmm. the caucus, mm-hmm. but to, to basically be forewarned that to expect that, that we will have Democrats coming there to vote for Nikki. And that's, I think that that, puts Donald Trump in uh, predicament if he is elected in the sense that the Democrats will do anything to get him out so that she yeah, they takes will. on. Yep. Yeah, for sure. You're right. All right, Chris. I like that nickname. Nikki Hillary. Kind of interesting one. All right. More of your calls coming up. 888-5708010-888-5708010 or on your cell phone, dial pound 250 and say, hey, Rod. All right, we're taking your phone calls here on the Rod Arquencho on Nikki Haley on the ticket with Donald Trump. What do you think of that idea? Let's go back to the phone. Let's talk with uh, Wanda in Ogden tonight. Wanda, how are you? Thanks for joining us. I'm great. How are you? I'm well. What do you think of Nikki Haley and Donald Trump on the same ticket? Um, I am a constitutionalist. I voted for Donald Trump the last two times and plan to vote for him this time. I am also from South Carolina. Nikki Haley was my governor. Uh-huh. And she is not uh, Romney in a dress. I can tell you she's very competent and strong and capable and was a great governor. I have uh, never seen her, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm just very pleased. All right, Wanda, thank you. We want to get some calls in here real quick. Let's go to Diane in Riverton. Diane, weigh in on this. What do you say? Um, I uh, have to agree with the with the first callers that uh, I think that she is really bent on um, anti-Trump uh, and that he, she will not be won over. We saw that in the first four years of Trump's uh, administration, that there were people who were just so um, vicious toward him that uh, they couldn't be brought around. He couldn't put out a 
a an olive branch uh, long enough for them to accept. And I think she'd be one of those. All right, Diane, thank you. Let's go to uh, Scott in Orem. Scott, how are you? Welcome to the Rod Arquette Show. Thanks, Rod. I do think that she would be an asset to the ticket. I, You know, watching these debates, um, there's some things that Vivek brought out about her that or attempted to bring out that I thought were just that actually backfired on him. Um, I, I think she's a phenomenal individual and that she would bring something to the ticket. Uh, but, you know, it's, again, it's whether or not she would be willing to come around given, you know, some statements by Donald Trump recently where he said, oh, the only reason I appointed her was because I wanted to change, you know, who was governor uh, in her state. Uh-huh. That was kind of a nasty thing. But yeah. I'm thinking, you know, if, if she wouldn't be willing to join, man, I'd love to have Chris, Christine Ohm. Yeah, you know, you're the second one who has said that. I appreciate your phone call on that. You know, we've got some time. Donald Trump said at the town hall meeting, was it last week, two weeks ago, that he has already made up his mind. You know Trump. He loves to tease the audience, and he may have been doing that. Or he may, in fact, have made up his mind as to who he wants for a running mate. First of all, he has to win the nomination. That The chances of that appear stronger than ever after the vote yesterday and what may happen over the next couple of weeks. But... It'll be real interesting to see who he selects and the reasons behind his decision. All right, when we come back, the Supreme Court, the role it will play in the 2024 election and saving the Great Salt Lake. plan is out there now. We'll talk about it coming up next. Stay with us. Third hour of the Rod Arquette Show with you on this uh, Tuesday here on Utah's Talk Radio, 1059 KNRS. We're an iHeartRadio station. Make sure you uh, download the iHeartRadio app so you can take us wherever you go. Still to come this hour, we're going to be talking about a new strategic plan to save the Great Salt Lake and the green money coming into John Curtis and his campaign to replace Mitt Romney. Here in the state of Utah. We'll talk about that as well. But right now, uh, let's talk more about the election. Um, the Supreme Court has, over the years, shown a reluctance to get involved in any election issues. I think they said, hey, this uh, congressional issue should be done by debate and um, by legislation. And they've kind of backed away from it. But this year, <laughs> there's not much they can do because they're right in the middle of this. And let's talk about it more with our next guest, Susan Shelley. She is a columnist at the Southern California News Group. Susan, how are you? Welcome back to the Rod Arkent Show. Thank you, Rod. Great to be with you. All right, Susan, what kind of uh, sticky situation does the Supreme Court find itself in this year? Oh, it's pretty funny. In 2020, they turned away a case that asked, it was Texas versus Pennsylvania, and the states were arguing over whether the changes to the voting practices during COVID were constitutional or not. The Supreme Court said, we don't think you have standing and we don't want to talk about it. Yeah. And they just ducked it. And now all these things are back with a vengeance. Colorado's Supreme Court knocked Donald Trump off the ballot. And of course, the Supreme Court has to take that up. So the president appealed and they will take up that case. And this, that's just one of them that they have to take up. Another one is the big censorship case, because in 2020, the government was behind the scenes censoring conservatives on social media. And this had a huge effect on the election yeah. by promoting certain stories and suppressing other stories that would have hurt the Biden team, mm-hmm. like the Hunter Biden, the Hunter Biden laptop yeah, story. Laptop for story, yeah. Right. So there have now been four federal judges that have told the government to knock it off. 
and there's an injunction, but the Biden administration appealed the injunction to the Supreme Court. So the Supreme Court said, oh yeah, we'll take your injunction. We're, we're gonna leave your injunction in place. We'll stay, we'll stay that so you can continue to censor. However, we're taking the whole case right now. So instead of kicking it back and letting it go for two more years in the lower courts, they said, we're gonna decide it this year, whether the government can censor Americans behind the scenes through third parties, because obviously they can't. Yeah, they, and they the should. First Amendment. Yeah, they should. What right. about the case involving Jack Smith and the prosecution there? Well, this is rather interesting. There were two different two different cases. One involved Jack Smith trying to speed up the hearing on the president's immunity claim, the former president's immunity claim, because Jack Smith is suing, is is charging, prosecuting Donald Trump for things he did while he was president. And Trump is saying that he has presidential immunity because what he did was in the outer scope of presidential responsibilities. Jack Smith is desperate to get the president on trial on March 4th so he can have him supposedly in handcuffs by the election. And there's no other motive for speeding it up. And the Supreme Court said, yeah, we're not going to help you with that. And they turned it away. So the March 4th trial date is probably not going to happen. And the other one that affects the March 4th trial date is very interesting. This involves a law that has been used to charge the January 6th protesters and former President Trump. Two of the counts against President Trump pertain to this. The law dates back to the Enron scandal, and it had to do with making it a more serious crime to mess around with the documents that were part of an official investigation. And one section of that law, it's section 1512, uh, and it's section C2. C1 talks about documents, and C2 says, and it shall be a crime to, offic to interfere with an official proceeding up to 20 years in prison. Well, that is the excerpt that the prosecutors have used to put hundreds of protesters behind bars for much longer sentences, because otherwise they're charged basically with trespassing and parading and then they added this this felony so the supreme court's going to decide whether this applies to things that are not related to evidence and investigations whether it applies to acts such as walking into congress uh, and parading and trespassing it may not and if it doesn't then hundreds of people will end up resentenced or freed and the two charges against President Trump will have to be dropped. Wow, wow. They, they've always wanted to stay out of stuff like this. Now they find themselves right in the middle of it. What happened, Susan? Well, what happened <laughs> is there's no ducking from this. You know, the, they, they ducked the last time. And then, the honestly, I, I hate to be totally partisan about this, but the Democrats pushed the envelope and they went to see how much more they could do with election interference and get away with it. And of course, people are pushing back and challenging it and appealing it. And the, the Supreme Court really, it has no choice. If it doesn't take these cases, then we've, we've on, I hate, it sounds so overheated, but we've lost our country yeah. if we don't have real elections. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Um, how, how, when are we going to get some decisions on this, Susan? What's the timetable? It looks like we'll get all the decisions by the end of June. Really? They're considering they're considering all of them now and the uh, the term ends in June, so I think we will see all of these maybe sooner. Um 
but certainly by the end of June and, and well before the election. So this is very significant because, of course, the media, the, the MSNBC type of media will portray this as Republican judges trying to mm-hmm. manipulate yeah, the election. Yeah, yeah. But the truth is they're stepping in to stop the Democrats from manipulating the election. What impact could this have on the election? If they wait until June to rule on this, where does the case that Jack Smith is prosecuting right now, where does that go? What's the timetable for that? Does this push everything back past the election now, Susan? Very well could. It very well could. The Certainly the March 4th trial date is not possible. And I believe the case in Florida involving the documents at Mar-a-Lago, which is also a bunch of bogus charges, that I believe is waiting on the case that Jack Smith filed in the District of Columbia related to the January 6th speech. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You know, there's so much. You need a scorecard to keep track of all the things they're charging former president with. But the, the bottom line is that all of the charge in my in my view all of the charges are so twisted there's such a twisted version of the law and they're so illegitimate that they will all fall when challenged in court and the object seems to be by the prosecution to just get a picture of the former president being convicted in the paper yeah. before the november election and that's all they want. And if it's all overturned later, they don't care. Yeah. And and then you throw in the mess down in Georgia right now. And it does make for an interesting summer, doesn't it, Susan? It sure does. Yeah, yeah. Susan, always great chatting with you. Thanks for your time tonight. Enjoy the rest of the week. Thank you. Thank you, Rod. All right. On our Newsmaker line, that's Susan Shelley. She is a columnist with the Southern California News Group right here on the Rod Arquette Show in Utah's Talk Radio 105.9 KNRS. Welcome back to the Rod Arquette Show here on this um, Tuesday evening. A reminder, we'll be broadcasting live from the state capitol tomorrow. My wingman, Greg Hughes, will be joining us. And it will be a special edition of Wingman Wednesday live from the state capitol day two of the 2024 legislative session. We'll talk about what's going on up on the hill. There is no doubt that the Great Salt Lake is one of the unique treasures of this wonderful state in which we live. But over the years, because of drought, more and more demands being put on the lake, there is concern about the future of the lake. Lawmakers will be talking a lot about that in this current legislative session. Well, now there has been a Great Salt Lake strategic plan released, released by the Great Salt Lake Commissioner, Brian Steed, who's joining us on our Newsmaker Line right now. Brian, how are you? Welcome back to the Rod Arquette Show. Hey, thanks so much, Rod. Thanks for having me, and it's always a pleasure to be here. That's not, that, I kind of like that title, uh, Brian, Great Salt Lake Commissioner. Do you like that title? Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> I guess it'd be some alternatives. Yeah, uh, that's it, for sure. It's nice, to be, it's nice to be doing something that matters. You have now put together a strategic plan for saving the Great Salt Lake. Why is this plan so necessary, Brian? So uh, a year or so ago during the legislative session, uh, the legislature identified that there was a real need to have kind of a point person on the Great Salt Lake 
to make sure that all of us are working together. And the first part of that was to develop this strategic plan. Uh, the law went into effect this summer. I was appointed this summer and then uh, was able to work on this plan and, and, and really had to have it out to the governor's office by November 30th or, for their review. It's really important because I think that the Great Salt Lake matters, and it, it matters how we, we behave, and it matters what we do from this point forward because we know that our actions can impact the lake uh, for both good and bad. And so trying to get the right solutions at the right time are really important. What has happened to the lake? And you're, and you're looking at the history of the lake and the challenges the lake has faced. What has happened to the lake in the last few years, Brian? So in looking at uh, the last couple of years, we, we saw in November of 2022 the lowest point that we've seen in a lake since pioneers started taking records back in 1847. And that alarmed a lot of people because there was a couple of things. One, that exposes a lot of lake bed and people are concerned about dust. And also the salt, the salinity levels were, were going up on the south arm. And that means we were going to lose a lot of the ecological value of the lake. So birds would have been impacted, brine shrimp would have been impacted, and ultimately we all would have been impacted on, on the value of that lake. So uh, because of that, uh, we were really nervous about it. Over the last year, we had this awesome winter. We did see the lake rebound some, uh, not as much as we hoped, but it did uh, on the south arm come up about five and a half feet. On the north arm of the lake, that's the north of the causeway, came up about a foot. And so that's still, that north arm is still dancing around historical lows, and uh, we, we really need to do better there. What can be done, uh, in your opinion, Brian, I believe this is part of your, your plan, to feed more water into the lake? I mean, who has to get involved in that for effort to try and get more water into the lake? I think it's an excellent question because I think that as I go out into public and talk about the lake, everyone wants to blame somebody else, right? They uh-huh. look and say, well, it's agriculture's fault. Or or agriculture says, you know, I don't want to save water in my farm, so it goes to grow your grass in the city. And and everyone's kind of right there. We've, we've got to make sure that, that this is a shared uh, effort on all of our parts. And, and ultimately, I'm optimistic. I think that we can save water by doing different things. And that doesn't mean it's going to affect our quality of life. We can actually have really, really nice yards and really healthy uh, farms. Uh, but we have to be mindful of the water we're doing or we're using and, and making sure that we're applying that water in the most efficient and optimized way. Do we waste a lot of water before it even gets to the lake? I mean, are there steps we can take before the water even gets to the lake to conserve that water? Declining. That's because people are taking a little water off the top. Mm-hmm. And so making sure that we're using that water in the most you know efficient way available, I think is really helpful. And, and so going to farming, farming does use a, a fair amount of water in the state. Uh, farms have been shown to be able to adopt different technologies, still grow the same amount of crops, and have substantial water savings. Encouraging that type of behavior going forward is going to become increasingly more important. Brian, does agriculture get uh, unfairly blamed for some of the challenges with the Great Salt Lake? You know, I, I think it is a little unfair because I think that everyone is looking for an easy answer. In truth, agriculture remains a really important part of our state for a lot of reasons. Not only because, I mean, I, I grew up in, in Logan, for instance. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, and in Logan, agriculture is still a really important part of, of Cache Valley. In other, in other uh, counties around the state, it is the economy. And so being aware that, that it's still really important, I think, is important. And I think one more thing, Rod, I, I also think that ag is important for, for the, the, the values it provides for habitat, for wildlife, but maybe most importantly, Agriculture just provides for a place to grow good people. 
Uh, the best people I know have come from from a background in agriculture, and I think that remains to be the case. So we have to we have to make sure that in saving the Great Salt Lake, we're not doing so at the expense of of agriculture. Do you get a sense, Brian, that this is truly a priority for lawmakers as they meet in this legislative session? Is it is it high on their list? I think it has to be. Uh, I mean, the lake uh, is quite important. It provides five to ten percent of our snowpack. It provides a huge source of economic revenue from the jobs that are there. And if we don't get it right, we end up with dust and, and perhaps even things like endangered species uh, on the lake that are going to cost us from a regulatory perspective over the long run. So I think it's, it's time that we have to sit up and take notice. I think the legislature has certainly let out on that during the last few legislative sessions, and I expect they'll continue to do so this year. Brian, as always, great chatting with you. I know we'll be talking more down the road. Thanks for your time tonight. Thank you so much, Rod. I hope you have a great legislative session day tomorrow as well. Uh, all right. All right. Brian Steed is the Great Salt Lake Commissioner releasing a Great Salt Lake strategic plan that lawmakers will use devising a plan or a, a project to save the Great Salt Lake. It is important to us. It is a great feature here in the state of Utah, uh, and we need it. There are so many things that revolve around the lake. We really need this. And, and I think if we all chip in together, and I think we will, steps will be taken to save the Great Salt Lake and make sure it's okay. That's very, very important. All right, more coming up right here on the Rod Arkent Show in Utah's Talk Radio 105.9 KNRS. Catch Show on Talk Radio 105.9 KNRS. All right, welcome back. Final half hour of the Rod Arquette Show with you on this uh, Tuesday evening here on Utah's Talk Radio 105.9 KNRS, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. All right, let's change gears, switch from uh, talking about national politics to politics here in the state of Utah. Um, John Curtis changed his mind a few weeks ago after first announcing that he was not interested in running for the uh, Senate seat being vacated by Mitt Romney, but uh, several weeks later announced, well, I think I am interested in the race. Apparently, some internal polling showed that he had a very large lead if he would decide to get into the race. Now, John Curtis, as many of you know, has been very active on the Republican side when it comes to talking about climate change. He's received some criticism for that, but he has, I mean, he has made a climate a center stage of his campaign, his campaign for the U.S. Senate. But a report out shows that uh, he has raked in a lot, and we do mean a lot of money, from green energy donors in his various campaigns. Let's talk more about that with our, with our next guest, Tom Pyle. Tom is with the American Energy Alliance. Tom, how are you? Welcome back to the Rod Arquette Show. Good to be back, Rod. How are you? I'm well. What do you what do you mean, uh, make of this report and the amount of money that John Curtis is getting from these various green organizations, uh, Tom? Well, it's it's kind of a chicken egg thing, right? I mean, Congressman Curtis has been out there making this pitch to uh, get the Republicans to buy into what I argue was a really bad set of uh, ideas on on climate and energy and all that and. A lot of left-leaning groups, environmental groups, uh, solar industry, 
wind industry is 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 uh, giving him money in exchange for for his overtures on that issue. Tom, what are some of the bad ideas he's promoting and trying to get Republicans to buy into? Well, I mean, he he says he's for market solutions to climate change, right? Well, the biggest market solution to climate change has been natural gas production in the United States, where the single uh, uh, biggest contributor to the, I mean, our country has reduced more CO2 emissions than any other country that's in the Paris Agreement, for example, in large part because of natural gas. But yet he's for taxes, yet he's for subsidies, for carbon capture and sequestration, which a lot of people argue just simply doesn't work and won't make a difference. So why is what is conservative about a, a carbon tax? I don't. I have no idea um, how he could say that he's running on conservative principles and be for taxes and subsidies. Tom, who are some of the groups that have contributed his campaign, and how much money is being tossed around? Well, based on some numbers I've seen, the bipartisan Climate Action Political Committee gave him uh, thirteen thousand dollars plus over the last couple of years. You've heard of the Environmental Defense Fund. Uh-huh. They they're big. Uh, they're big. They've donated uh, five thousand plus. Sonova, which is one of the uh, energy uh, uh, solar companies in hot water, have given him has given him money. Other other solar companies as well. I mean, it's ten thousand here, twelve thousand there, five thousand here, but it adds up to a lot of money. You know, somewhere somewhere in the neighborhood of you know hundred thousand dollars or something along those lines. Just on just you know, sort of back of the envelope. In in donating to John Curtis's campaign over the years, are they trying to show these groups that there is a bipartisan effort on uh, on both the Republicans and Democrats to do something about climate and climate change? Yeah, I, I think they are. I mean, he clearly has made overtures, and he's sort of one of the leaders of, like, I call this, this small band of climate pranksters in Congress, right? He's got three or four other uh, Republicans that he flew out to Dubai uh, to go to that big, you know, mm-hmm, summit yeah. where all these climate leaders flew on private jets to tell us, you know, that we're bad for the environment and everything else. My point is this. He's not, he's not right for Utah, right? I mean, we don't want, I mean, Mitt Romney, he had his uh, strengths and weaknesses. He was also not good on these issues. He was also for carbon taxes. These types of policies are harmful to to Utah families, right? We all pay a lot of money for our energy. It's the biggest percentage of our budget in a lot of uh, in a lot of uh, households. And the more we tax energy, the more we make it more expensive. The the worse it is for us because it allows us to spend less on things that matter to us. Tom, how many Utahns do you think know this about John Curtis? I mean, you know, when I read this, the first time I was fully aware of this, I'd heard some rumblings of this before. But if, in fact, they hear this, how do you think this may affect the campaign here in Utah? Well, I hope it affects it in a meaningful way in that Utah should have a strong conservative in in the Senate who represents Utah values and not go on these side tangents uh, about chasing uh, you know, subsidies for different types of technologies and taxing our energy. Uh, these are not conservative principles, and you much better um, than than that. You know, uh, he he was a Democrat, then he wasn't. He wasn't going to run, then he then he did. He's already distancing himself from his record on these issues to try and 
get through the primary. But we know that if he gets in the Senate, uh, he's going to have a lot more latitude in six years to kind of push all of these, you know, what I argue are harmful and, and terribly regressive, uh, not even Republican policies, but more like left and liberal policies. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays into the race this year. Tom, as always, great chatting with you. Thanks for your time tonight. You bet. Take care, Rob. All right. On our newsmaker line from the American Energy Alliance, that's uh, Tom Pyle talking about some of the donations that have been made toward the uh, John Curtis campaign. And, yes, he is making climate and, you know, the need, a, a Republican approach, a conservative approach to climate change, part of his campaign. How it will sell to Utah voters We'll have to wait and see. All right, more coming up here on the Rod Arkent Show and Utah's Talk Radio 105.9 KNRS. Listen and you'll know. Welcome back. Final few minutes of the uh, Rod Arkent Show with you on this uh, Monday. You know, Washington, D.C., in my opinion, it is a uh, city overflowing with uh, useless people, useless agencies, and useless institutions. And I think one of the most worthless figures has now decided, finally, to leave his government post. While John Kerry is not quite going away, he is closer to the exit than the entrance right now. This is good news for the country. At some point this spring, Kerry has announced he will leave his uh, billing as the administration's climate envoy he will reportedly join the re-election campaign of joe biden who was for decades useless but eventually became destructive in his three years that we have seen so if voters act rationally carry an insufferable hypocrite will disappear from public life for good by the middle of november we can only hope now we have another uh louise sender john kennedy moment for you kennedy sitting on an energy committee in the senate destroyed a climate grifter in under two minutes. Listen to this exchange. If we spend $50 trillion to become carbon neutral in the United States of America by 2050, you're the Deputy Secretary of Energy. Give me your estimate of how much that is going to reduce world temperatures. So, so first of all, it's a net cost. Um, it's what uh, benefits we're having from getting our act together and reducing all of those climate benefits. We're seeing. Let me ask again. Maybe I'm being. Right now maybe I'm not being clear. If we spent fifty trillion dollars to become carbon neutral by two thousand and fifty in the United States of America, how how much is that going to reduce world temperatures? This is a global problem. So we need to reduce our emissions, and we need to do everything we can. How much, if we do our part, countries. is it going to reduce? So world we're temperatures? For, we're thirteen percent of global emissions. You don't know, right do you? You don't know, do you? You can do the math. We need to. You don't know, do you, Mr. Secretary? So we're 13% of if global. If you know, why won't you we tell went, me? If we went to zero, that would be 13%. You don't know, do you? You just want us to spend $50 trillion and you don't have the slightest idea whether it's going to reduce world temperatures. Now, I'm all for carbon neutrality, but you're the deputy secretary of the Department of Energy, and you're advocating we spend trillions of dollars to seek carbon neutrality, and you can't, and this isn't your money or my money, it's taxpayer money, and you can't tell me how much it's going to lower world temperatures? There or you won't tell me? You know, but you won't? In my heart of hearts, there is no way the world gets its act together on climate change unless the U.S. leads. Tell me how much it's the going US to reduce. You, you can't tell me. 
That's right. And if you ask, there are a couple of points here that I want to make with uh, John Kennedy's uh, uh, interrogation of this uh, this uh, energy official with the Department of Energy. First of all, huge waste, the Department of Energy to begin with. But when all of these people bring out all of these ideas on climate change, you know, from the EVs, which, by the way, I think many of you have seen the story, what happened in the Midwest with EVs over the weekend. The, uh, the They couldn't find a charging station that worked, and they all just stood there and froze to death, basically. But nobody asked, okay, with all the steps that you want the American people and America to take, eliminating fossil fuels, going strictly to renewable energy, wind and solar, how much will that reduce emissions in this country today? They Like this guy who just appeared before Senator Kennedy. They do not know. The same thing, an issue I want to bring up, when it comes to immigration. Ask somebody who is in favor of what Joe Biden is doing right now. How many people should we take into the United States year in and year out? What is the number? Is it 1 million? 5 million? 10 million? And can this country sustain itself when we allow 10 million people into the country. Can we sustain it? You know, you talk about humanitarianism, right? Okay, we understand that. We want to help people as much as we possibly can. But how many, how many people, ask someone who's out there advocating what Joe Biden is doing and ask them, just come right out and say, okay, You're in favor of open borders, but how many people should the United States take in? I think the American taxpayer is willing to help out people in need, but not, not if they aren't in, if they aren't in this country illegally. Why should we be supporting illegal aliens with our tax dollars? And how many people should we be taking in? Year after year after year. They never can answer that question. All right, just a reminder, coming up tomorrow, Wingman Wednesday, my wingman, Greg Hughes, will be joining me and we'll be broadcasting live from the state capitol, day two of the 2024 legislative session. That does it for us tonight. Head up, shoulders back. May God bless you and your family in this great country of ours. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 4. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.